0: I came across some rather innovative ideas this week, and providentially we have a ministry advisory team meeting this afternoon. Now you guys know, if you're on the ministry advisory team, we need you here at 2 o'clock. But I can't wait till 2 o'clock to tell you some of these ideas, so I'm going to just share it with everybody. This comes from a New York Times article by Megan Spacia. The headline is, English cathedrals offer more than exalted architecture... But mini-golf? Here's a quote from the article. The hallowed nave of a medieval church with its stained glass windows and soaring arches is usually thought of as a place for prayer and quiet reflection. Now, apparently, it is also a place for a slide four stories tall. Inside Norwich Cathedral in the east of England, a colorful 55-foot-tall slide known as a helter-skelter winds past the 12th-century stone pillars, The Reverend Canon Andy Bryant, Norwich Cathedral's Canon for Mission, okay, so this is our mission and ministry team here, said it offered visitors a new perspective on the ornate ceilings and on the faith more generally. This is a deliberate attempt to help people engage with our cathedral, he said. There is this idea that the helter-skelter makes it all brash and noisy, but people are going to see the cathedral in all its glory. After years of falling attendance for the Church of England, the amusement park atmosphere on display at some cathedrals shows the lengths the church is going to as it tries to pull in more people by projecting a more inclusive, less forbidding image. And here is another one from the BBC News about this. The headline is, Norwich Cathedral, Bishop Delivers Sermon from Helter Skelter. The Bishop of Lynn, the Right Reverend Jonathan Myrick, delivered his sermon from halfway up the ride. A quote from the Reverend is, God would be reveling in the joy of a glorious, glorious helter-skelter has brought to Norwich Cathedral. God is a tourist attraction, he told the congregation during the cathedral's final service with the helter-skelter as a backdrop. God wants to be attractive to us. Oh, good gracious. I'm going to have to wash my mouth out after I read this. God wants to be attractive to us for us to enjoy ourselves, each other, and the world around us. And the glorious helter-skelter is about just that. Enjoying ourselves is a good thing to do, and God will be reveling in it with us and all those people who have found fun and joy and laughter here, he said. So there's one idea. Or we could do it the old-fashioned way and imitate Paul by being a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now let me read you one more quote from a rational and godly perspective to make up for that foolishness that I just read. This is a quote from the late and beloved Baptist pastor Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said, the only multiplication of the church of God that is to be desired is that which God sends. Thou hast multiplied the nations, Isaiah 9, 3. If we add to our churches by becoming worldly, by taking in persons who have never been born again, if we add to our churches by accommodating the life of the Christian to the worldling, our increase is worth nothing at all. It is a loss rather than a gain. Amen. Amen. Alright, so if you're at all familiar with the New Testament, you know that Paul shared his faith everywhere he went and in every circumstance in which he found himself. It's like the, the, time, the right time to eat green eggs and ham, right? It's with a fox or in a box or on a train or in the rain. That was the right time for the Apostle Paul to share his faith, any circumstance in which he found himself. If he was able to speak and there was somebody to listen, Paul was sharing his faith. He was not one to squander opportunities, and God provided him with multiple, multiple opportunities. He witnessed to exalted rulers and lowly prison guards, to Jews and Gentiles, to men and to women, to the rich and the poor. In other words, to everyone in every circumstance. My resume is not nearly as impressive. Uh, we may not hit the mark of perfectly imitating Paul here or, or any, any other aspect, but we need to get somewhere between where we are and where Paul is. We need to move that direction. So today we're going to be talking about imitating Paul as he imitates Christ. Now I was first introduced to the concept of witnessing when I was a uh, I think when I was in the sixth grade, my father took me to a uh, a businessman's luncheon at Bellevue Baptist Church. And I heard Adrian Rogers preach for the first time. And I thought, I've never heard anything like that before. (laughs) We need to go back there. And so before too long, my family started going to Bellevue Baptist and we moved our membership there. And Dr. Rogers would say things like, if you are not sharing your faith, you need someone to share their faith with you. And I thought, well, gosh, I'm not sharing my faith. I don't really even know how. I'm kind of scared to because I might mess it up. And after all, this is a really important thing, and I don't want to mess it up. Well, our church started offering a course on witnessing called Evangelism Explosion. And so I signed up. And they said, well, we can't take you because you're in high school, and we we want adults. And I said, wait a minute. Dr. Rogers just said if you're a christian you have to be sharing your faith and they kind of went oh, okay you got me there so they let me into it and so i began learning to share my faith when i was uh, when i was in high school and i learned a good method uh and then later on the Baptists came out with a version of of this that was kind of like evangelism explosion called faith y'all remember the faith training that southern Baptists did well i went through that and then uh There's some other ones. Way of the Master is a great one that I'm fond of. So I learned all these different methods for sharing my faith because I wanted to make sure that I was competent with it because I was taught that it's really important. Now, my goals are not to squander obvious witnessing opportunities and to share the gospel with at least one person each week. Sometimes I don't get those opportunities in my daily routine, so I have to go looking for them. I mean, when I'm here with Jessica, um, we interact over business things and we talk, but she's saved already. And then uh, Jimmy comes in once a week and, you know, that's maybe a little less iffy, but uh, anyway, now Jimmy's saved too. So I'm not hanging around with lost people. And then I go home where my family is and they're, you know, they're believers there. And then when I see my friends from church, sometimes I'm not around lost people and I have to go and make myself be around lost people. Because, otherwise, I'm not going to get the opportunity to share my faith unless I go look for that opportunity. Now, witnessing is not as scary as you think it is. It's not as difficult as you think it is. And if you'll go with me, I can prove it to you. Let's pray before we go any further. Lord. Uh, As I've been praying all week, I want to pray again with these brothers and sisters that I will give them compelling reasons from Scripture to witness for the Lord Jesus and that the Holy Spirit will compel them to witness. Lord, I I can read your word. I can select passages and give them a reason to share their faith. Father, only you can compel us to do so out of love for our neighbor. So, Father, I am totally out of my depth. Because I cannot do it. So Lord, would your Holy Spirit compel us to share our faith out of love for our Lord and love for our neighbor. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's look together at some of the reasons scripture gives us to share our faith. The first is, it is God's will that people hear and respond to the gospel. 1 Timothy 2, 3-4 through four says this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now this passage requires a little bit of explanation but I, I hope we won't get too sidetracked. So I'll keep it brief. In keeping it brief I may raise some questions for you. If I do feel free to ask me about them later. Honestly, one of the advantages of being in a small church is you can call me anytime you want to and we can talk if I say something that you're wondering about on Sunday or any other time. If when the Bible says that God desires all people to be saved, it means that God's desire is that each and every person on the planet come to faith in Christ, then we're left with a little bit of a quandary, right? Because ultimately that would mean that for some reason God cannot accomplish what He wills, or it means that ultimately everyone who has ever been conceived will end up going to heaven. I completely reject the notion that God fails to accomplish His will, regardless of the reasons that people come up with to explain it. And I am not a universalist, so I don't believe that every person who has ever been conceived ends up in heaven. That's clearly not what the Bible says. So what is the explanation for this? The Greek word translated all people can mean all kinds of people rather than each and every single individual. Leaders, followers, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, and so on. This interpretation makes good sense as Paul lists a certain class of people, rulers here, when he tells us to pray for all people. John Calvin says that God's desire for the salvation of all means there is no people and no rank in the world that is excluded from salvation. Now let's look at the passage again so we can make sure we see what he's talking about there. 1 Timothy 2, 1-4 through four says, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of our God and Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. All right, I know we waded into some deep water there for a moment, but let's not forget the main point here, which is it is God's will that people hear and respond to the gospel. That naturally leads us to ask the question that Paul asks in Romans ten fourteen: how will they hear? Romans ten fourteen says this, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching, right? Paul is very logical, very practical and he says, look, we've got a message to get out and how are they going to believe if they don't hear the message? And how are they going to hear the message if we don't take the message to them? I certainly could not have said it better myself. Uh, You know, I I say that tongue-in-cheek. I couldn't say anything better than the Bible says, of course. But what he's saying is, you know, look, let's be practical. You know, last week we talked about how we should pray for things and then we should be available to be the means through which God accomplishes our prayers, right? Right? So if we're down the street and the lady says, would you pray for me to have milk to put in my coffee? We prayed for her to put, have milk to put in her coffee and then we went and bought her some milk and brought it to her, right? We want to be, whenever possible, the means through which God accomplishes his will. So how are they gonna hear? It's gonna happen by us telling them. Now, who is us? All right, zone in with me here for a second. The us that are supposed to take the message is the person sitting in your seat this morning, okay? It's the person preaching the message this morning. We can get a very collective idea of us and say we should share the gospel, and by we, I mean you, (laughs) right? We can do that, and we do that in our churches all the time. So us is the person occupying your seat this morning and the one preaching. That's us. I hope that feels a little overwhelming because when you realize that you cannot do it alone, you get a good perspective on how I need to be witnessing too. So you can't do it alone. You can't share your faith with everybody that needs to hear the gospel, right? I can't share my faith with each and every individual that needs to hear the gospel. But together we can do so much more than we can individually. You need me to help. I need you to help. We need individual believers all around the world to help. I know that I can't do it alone. But you can't either. I know that I'm not the only one in this congregation who shares his faith. But the truth is that we who do regularly witness are in a very small minority i think we can all agree to that i know there are people who take the opportunity to witness besides me but if we're being honest you know that is a really small minority of people in our church we can fix that i'll tell you exactly how in a few minutes but first let me give you another reason to witness Another reason is it is how the church grows and survives to tell the story to the next generation. Acts 8 1 through 4 says this. And Saul approved of his execution. And that's talking about Stephen, because chapter 7 is Stephen's defense before he was stoned. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison now those who were scattered went about preaching the word now who was scattered it was not the apostles the apostles didn't scatter who scattered The regular old church folks like you and me. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but the regular old folks like us were scattered about. And what they do, they went about preaching the word. Yes, that is exactly what we just read, right? It wasn't the professionals. It wasn't the anointed with a special kind of gifting. It was the regular old church members like us. God's plan for the perpetuation of the gospel is for us to pass it along. Look at what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Right? We're supposed to pass on what we know to other people who can teach other people. Regular old Christians sharing their faith with lost people is how the church grows and survives to tell the next generation. Guys, that's God's plan. We don't need to revise it. We don't need to improve on it. All we need to do is obey it. Jesus knew that this was the plan. In His high priestly prayer, Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. People are saved today through the word and the testimony of the apostles. But we have been entrusted with that testimony in order to share it with the future believers for whom Jesus was praying. You know, I've told you before that when we read the Bible and interpret Scripture, we don't need to insert ourselves into it. So if God made a promise to the, the Jews in the Old Testament, we don't need to somehow grab that and claim it and say, okay, God was really talking to America in the 21st century, because He wasn't. He was talking to the Jews, right? But this is a case where Jesus was praying for you, Okay? He said, I, I don't ask for only these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus prayed for me while he was on earth. And he prayed for you. And he prayed for that person that you are going to take the gospel to, who is going to believe because of your words and because of the words of the apostles that we take to them. Now, I saved the most compelling reason for last, and you may wonder what could be more compelling than knowing that it's God's will that people hear and respond to the gospel. But I want to show you from Scripture that God entrusted this ministry to us here, now, in this room. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-20 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. To whom did he give the ministry of reconciliation? To us who have been reconciled. He has given the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So Paul says that we are ambassadors for Christ, and God makes His appeal through us. Guys, that is a lot of responsibility being entrusted to us. How are we going to respond to that responsibility? How are we going to respond to God entrusting to us this ministry of reconciliation? I don't see how Paul could make it any clearer than he just did. Those who have been reconciled to God are given by God the ministry of reconciling others. Then there's the Great Commission we read in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now you might object that Jesus was speaking here to the eleven disciples. Uh, I read some stuff on the internet this week, and a lot of folks are like, hey, wait a minute, the Great Commission doesn't apply to me because he was talking to those 11 guys. 11 because, of course, Judas had, had hanged himself at this point. This may have been where Jesus appeared to over 500 at one time that Paul tells us about, like we talked about last week. But even if it was only to the 11 that he said this, That does not get us off the hook, because look what he said. (laughs) And this really well-respected theologian, Don Carson, uh, put this idea in my head while I was reading this week. Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Listen to this part. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And Don Carson said, Well, if he was talking to the eleven... And he said, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Right after he said, go and make disciples, (laughs) then he meant teach them to go and make disciples. He wasn't saying, well, except for this last little part about making disciples, that's only for you, 11. He doesn't say that. He gives us that commission. So if you are saved, you are to be sharing your faith. That is your job and mine. As your pastor, I have an additional job. And that is to equip you to do that. That is why on November 16th, we are hosting a group called Hearts for the Lost. They are going to come here to scripturally compel us and then equip us to share our faith. I am able and willing to equip you individually to share your faith. But this will get us all on the same page at the same time. If you will come and be a part of this. Our ministry and missions team has talked this over and we have said, guys, this is what we want to do. This is crucial for our church. If West Laurel Baptist Church is here 10 years from today, I believe we'll be able to look back at November 16th, 2019 in order to see why West Laurel Baptist Church is here 10 years from now. I'm old enough and have been in ministry long enough to know there's no silver bullet program that can revitalize the church. If there were, I would write a little book and, and I could retire then if I wanted to because Lifeway would sell millions of them if it actually worked. So that, that is not what I'm counting on. I'm not counting on some people to come here and fix all our troubles. What I am praying for, though, is that this day will spark in us a revival of obedience to the Great Commission that will indeed revitalize this church and get her back on mission. If we would all take seriously the ministry to which God has called us, we could become a healthy, thriving, obedient church. Guys, I have never in my life, and I've been in Southern Baptist churches since before I was born, I have never been part of a church where the majority of believers were actively sharing their faith. Has anybody in here been in a church like that? Would you like to be? I sure would. We can do this. We can simply obey what our Lord has told us to do. Now guys... We call Him Lord, not because that's His name, right? Because that's what He is. If He really is your Lord, then when He says, do such and such, we say, yes, sir, and we do it, right? That's how it's supposed to operate. We all know this. Now, I know sometimes you're saying, you might be saying, look, churches don't do this. The majority of churches, the majority of individuals in a church don't share their faith. You're right, they don't. Why not? It's not... There's no reason, guys. It's not impossible. It's not something that we can't do. It's something that we won't do, but we can get out of that. We can change that. We here at West Laurel, with our however many folks are here today, we can choose to simply obey what God tells us to do. Now, you may be scared to share your faith by yourself. I understand. Let's do it together until you're comfortable. Okay, so check that one off. You may be concerned that you will do something wrong. I understand. Let's become equipped so that we don't have to worry about that. You may worry that you'll be asked a question that you don't know the answer to. I understand that too, but there's only one that is omniscient and you're not him. So it's okay. Nobody knows the answer to every possible question. You may worry that you will be rejected. I understand. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 10, 16. The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So yes, you, Jesus, and God the Father may get rejected. I hope, though, that you see that you are the least of these, right? You are the least big deal in this scenario. So might you be rejected? Yeah, but Jesus is being rejected and God the Father is being rejected. So don't worry about it. So what is this gospel that we need to tell them? Guys, I'm going to tell and fallen short of the glory of God. We have sinned and offended the holy God. And we had no way to fix that. So what he did was he sent his son to live the life that we should have lived and couldn't. And then His Son died in my place and in your place to forgive you of the sin, to pay the penalty for your sin. And you can, by faith, exchange your sinfulness, which He paid for on the cross, with His righteousness, which He will give to you. And then not only will you be forgiven of your sin but the Father will see you as righteous and just because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to you. That is the gospel we need to share with them. So guys, I'm about to do something weird. (laughs) I think if we had an earthquake and the chandelier started falling, many of us would sit there in our seat, unmoving. (laughs) I think perhaps if a tornado came and ripped this, this place apart, we would sit nailed to our seat. We are not a, we're not a bunch of folks that get up and move very often. So let's get over the shock of what I'm about to ask you to do. I'm about to ask you to move. All right? All right, so that's a little thing. Don't worry about it. Here's what I'm really asking. If you are willing to say, okay, I'm scared. I don't know how to do this. I've gone 60, 70, 80 years without regularly sharing my faith. It's scary to me. I understand that, Okay? It's okay, we're going to equip you, all right? And you may say, look, I'm not one to move out of my seat and do things when I'm asked to in service. That's that's okay, get over that too. What I'm gonna ask you to do is on November 16th, I want you to commit today to show up on November 16th. I want us all to be there and all to learn why we should share our faith and how we can share our faith. And then, guys, I want us to commit to simply obey the one that we call Lord. All right? If he says to share our faith, I want us to say, I'm willing to do it. I may be scared to do it. I may not know how to do it. All I'm asking is, are you willing to come on November 16th and learn what they have to say and then go with us holding your hand, okay, to share your faith? If you're willing to come on November 16th, unless providentially hindered, and by that I mean dead, okay? If you are willing to come on November 16th to this thing that we're having called Hearts for the Lost, where they're going to show us and equip us how to share our faith, then I'm going to ask Steve to come on and play. And when he does, I want you to get up out of your seat. And I want you to come up here to the front. I know this is crazy talk. It's okay. (laughs) We can do it. If you are willing to show up on November 16th, I want you to come down here. If you are not willing, you can stay in your seat and the the ministry and missions team is gonna be praying for you like crazy, (laughs) okay? Because we want every individual in this body to come that day to learn how to share our faith. What are we singing, brother?